Hi, John. So, Merry Christmas, and we look forward to coming on your show in the future. What's the show called? Not Just a Dog. Never Just a Dog. <laughs> Never Just a Dog. <laughs> Welcome to Never Just a Dog. I'm your host, John Littlefair, and that is the voice of clinical psychologist Talia Carter, who has become a regular guest to the show. And there has been some amazing guests throughout the year who have shared their dog stories. So this is a compilation of the voices of 2021. We began by talking about dog loss grief with Talia. You know, has been has been really positive and society can shift attitudes if more people talk about it people are willing to have the difficult conversations or you know more people are just willing to take on a different perspective for once even though you may not sort of know what that experience is like for someone because you never really know but if you're just curious and ask questions and empathic and try to get an understanding of what their world is like it makes a big difference and it really you know really shows the other person that that you care and you can talk about it and that's really what kind of is the glue that keeps us all together I think. Ladybug art creator Jess shared the beginning of her journey with a dog called Rue. So Rue came in oh I love talking about Rue. Rue is like my favorite she was she was my best friend 500 years ago I'm sure of it we ruled the world. Um, So 13 years ago, uh, me, it was my best friend, her partner at the time, and myself. And her partner was looking for a dog to rescue. He worked in something to do with the police. He trained, he, he did like tested police cars or something. I don't know. It might have been a lie at the time. I have no idea. But he <laughs> needed a dog, um, which was the bottom line. You know, if someone needs a dog, I'm game. I'm, I'm going. Uh, and we went to this rescue centre um, and we've gone to this rescue centre and he's looking at Alsatians, German Shepherds, any sort of, I think he, we met a collie as well. Um, and it's a lovely rescue centre. There was a big greenery and they've got the whole setup of the sitting room. You can see how they are sort of in a living room and everything else. As we're walking out, and this is so cliche, but it's uh, 100% true. As we're walking out, this this thing... <laughs> runs towards me and I sort of spun around and it's Rudy and she was about she must have been about eight weeks old at the time covered in mange absolutely disgusting just a a grotty horrid looking puppy and she's just jumped onto my white gypsy skirt that I had on at the time and I've sort of laid on the floor and she's just curled up on me and you know when you just think you're mine and I'm yours, and this is it, you know, and I was 18 at the time, and I still lived with my mum, but we kind of shared the house, so we split the house into two, so I had my side, and she had her side, I'm saying this, because this is the reason why I got Rue, Um, so we we were driving back on the way home, and I started crying, and I said to Misha, you know when you meet people, or things, or something in your life just says to you, that can't end, and Misha went, do you want to go back? And I, I said, yeah, we've got to go back. So we went back. And I said, can I sign the form for her? 
and they said we'll do home checks and everything else. So it, it literally took about seven days, and then I had to wait till she was all all the mange was gone. She was horrible looking. I can't I can't express how how she just looked like a groggy puppy that's come out of a drain pipe, you know, kind of situation. But she wasn't. She just lost all her hair. Um, and that was it. About I just sort of said to my mum, we're getting a dog. <laughs> and then there was dog love and loss with New York police officer Rosa Rizzo. I love to share Harmony's memory because she was such an amazing little creature to me. You know, she was a smart little, funny, smart-ass little thing. She really was, you know, like if you, so if she was hungry or she wanted a treat, she would go down her little steps. I, I had these little steps on her couch so she wouldn't have to jump down as she got older. Right. And she would go to my little closet, my pantry, where she knew all her treats were. And she would scratch on the door, scratch on the door. OK, I'd be sitting on the couch in the other room and she would look at me first. And she'd go down her little steps, go scratch at the door. And if I didn't get up right away and I would do this on purpose, I would wait for her to come back to me and look (laughs) at me and wag her tail. Right. And then she would do this thing with her head, like, (sighs) like flail her head back. Like, why are you making me wait? Hello? give me attention. I want a treat. And I would go, Oh, you are something else. You are something else. And, and then I would get a treat and then she would do every trick in the book. I taught her when she was a baby, who's the cutest dog. And she would raise her paw so high that she would knock herself over. And it was the (laughs) cutest thing. It was the cutest thing. And then she you know, she used to do dance dance. She used to be on her back paws and she would spin around and ro- not even roll over. And I would say, lay down. And then I would say, wipe your nose. And she would wipe her nose with her paws. So when you would get a treat, I would always ask her to do something. So before I even asked, she just would do it. She would just do Who's the cutest dog? (laughs) She'd get on the floor down. She would crawl and then she would wipe her nose like all in all in one shot. And I was like, you are such a brat. And if you if somebody accidentally sat on the spot on her couch, she would huff and puff. And by huff and puff, I'd mean (laughs) and flip her head back. She would be pissed. And then she would look at them and sit right in front of them on the on on the carpet waiting for them to move. She just she was so set in her ways, too. I mean, she had some personality. I even dragged my brother into the studio to share childhood dog stories and also a story about a kangaroo. Roo was a was a kangaroo, which is a bit of a surprise. We're very original on the farm. I mean, I think we would have taken all of two seconds to come up with that name. I think Nat might have named Roo. Roo. She was the master of naming every every animal. We didn't get a look in. <laughs> I would have called him David. David would have been a perfect name. Yeah, I would have loved David. So Dad brought Roo. Roo was orphaned. Um, I think her mum had, um, had passed away. So rocks up after a day on the farm and he's got this little joey. 
and of course we called uh, called him Roo, and he was. We treated him like a dog because he he would bounce around the house, chasing up and down the passageway. Roo was fantastic. I, I recall exactly that talking about or or looking back at Roo um, and chasing us up and down the passageway and and looking around and you you, you think from that time you go oh, this is again this is for forever. Um, but Roo was Roo was fantastic. It sort of you look back and go. What an experience to have a what is such a wild animal come into your house and be so, I suppose, loving or so so much part of the family in such a short time. Jesse, the designer of the Never Just a Dog artwork, talks about Arnie. So we had Arnie for nine years. He yeah, when he when we lost him, he was just over nine, and um, he's a big boy, um, bull mastiff, cross staff. So um. Yeah, he and he just had these most, the most human eyes. Like he, I don't know. It was like he was staring into your soul. You know, sometimes you look at a dog and you're like, you can, can you read my mind? But he'd always come into my office while I was working and like lie down, and then you know, in silence, I'd hear it. And I'm like, dude, literally, I've got a client coming in 15 minutes, and so you just gassed out my office. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> They're gonna think it's. Oh, and no. he did look at me and be like, "Oh, I was just really sorry about that." Like, <laughs> it just snuck out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he jumped like. <gasps> and then we reached all the way from Perth, Western Australia, into California to chat with Dr. Katie Lawler, pet loss psychologist. Jem was a dwarf Netherland rabbit that I adopted during grad school. Um, I was going through a really hard breakup at the time. And I think I was in year three or four and, you know, just studying all the time. I was living um, by myself in the back house uh, of actually the the gentleman who invented the screensaver. Um, there's a lot of people like that in, in Palo Alto. Um, and, and it was just a very lonely time and I was walking around the town where Stanford is at and I saw this rabbit a family had brought him in where they had three little boys under the age of five and they had adopted um Jem but the boys were just really rough with him not purposely uh and so the mom had brought him into this this pet store you know free to a good home and I just remember he was the most beautiful creature. He did not look real. He was, you know, just pure white with bright blue eyes and pink ears. And I just could not believe that they were looking for a home for him. Now my, my place didn't allow pets. So I hid him for three, for three years from my landlord. One of my most beloved kind of recommendations to give anyone that has lost a pet when you're ready to talk about them and to find whether it's a, a loved one, a friend, a partner, set a designated either date night or coffee time where you go and, and it's understood that you're going to talk about your pet that night. And that can really help keep their memory alive. You know, there's a great interview that I saw it. And by great, I mean, it just really affected me. It's between Anderson Cooper and, oh my gosh, I can't, Stephen Colbert. 
And both of them lost their fathers at very early ages. Stephen Colbert's dad and two brothers were in an airplane crash. And Anderson Cooper's dad, I don't know how he passed away, but Anderson Cooper was very young. And they were saying, you know, there's that time immediately after where people ask you how you're doing and they mention your loved one's name. But that stops after a while. And both of them were saying as, as, as painful as it is to, to understand that our, their dads had passed away so early, they want people to ask about them yeah. um, because it keeps their spirit alive. There's a Native American saying that our loved ones die twice. First, when they actually die, but then the second time, the last time their name is uttered. And I think that's so true. And I think if we keep, you know, talking about those memories and laughing about the really good times, and I know that can't come at first, but does, I think, bring us a great deal of peace when they live on in our hearts and, and in, our, in our minds. Tyler Richardson, lead vocalist and bass player for rock band Luca Brasi, talks about his love for Marley. Man, it's, it's just, it just blew me away. Like I was saying, you know, I never, I had a dog when I was a kid as a family dog, but I never, it was a family dog. Whereas Marley is, you know, she's our, our girl and my, you know, my best friend. So they're just, she's just so sensitive and just gets, just seems to get it when, okay, it's a, right now isn't playtime. It's time to listen um, and just be there for me a lot. She's just so willing to look after me. It's just crazy how sensitive dogs can be i'm watching a stretch right now on the couch um just i don't know man when i need something she's there for it and gets the situation and we're happy just to be quiet and snuggle up and listen and if i want to go for a walk and blow some steam or go to the park of course she's up for that but she just makes everything better and makes everything so much easier to deal with yeah what, what they do i guess like uh, you wake up in the morning and she is there to hang out with you. If you don't want to hang out, she'll go and sit elsewhere and wait till you're ready to hang out. You know, that's wonderful. Braden Davies, Australian freestyle motocross star, talks about his dog, Attila. She's just told me on the phone. I didn't even know what to say or how to react. I was just like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I just didn't know how to react, man, because he was my everything. So, you know, we'd, uh, you know, like, we knew, obviously, being a big dog, he wasn't going to be around forever, you know. And I remember we would just say, like, you know, Tiller's going to be here forever, you know. you know. But And then it's like, you know, it's like if he had lived the 10 years or whatever, I could look back and be like, you know what, he lived a pretty cool life, you know, a long life. But he didn't. He was only three. So I just know that he, for the three years that he was here, he lived the best three years I think any dog could have lived. So, you know, I'm, ha- I'm happy for him, yeah. The the hard one of the hardest things I had to do was um my good mate Sean, he um he crashed his dirt bike and had a really freak accident, and he was in hospital, he was in hospital for about a week week and a half. Obviously had to have his surgery on his leg and his arm and um and when it happened he was in hospital and um he was due to come home and I rang him and I just said like listen man um I was going to tell you something before he come home because he was assumed coming home to Attila you know. And he was excited to see him because he'd been away for so long. And I broke down crying. I was like, man, Attila's not here anymore. Um, he's, he couldn't wrap his head around it. I said, yeah, he and I had to explain what happened. And, um, yeah, he was obviously just struck from it as well. And, um, yeah, 
just yeah, this is so hard, man. To, to like, yeah. One of my good mates that was tattooing me at the time tattooed um, a portrait of him on my leg, and you know what I'm covered in tattoos, and that's my favorite tattoo still to this day. So that's my that's my little um, you know moment, like sentimental thing for him, and that that's all I need. Yeah. Ever since he's passed, I've either had uh, that sort of similar um, photo of him on my leg. Like that I've got tattooed. I've had a similar photo like that either on my helmet or I've got him on my fuel tank on my bike still. I don't know if you might have seen it. There's like a little there's a sticker on my helmet or on top of my helmet or there's a little sticker on my fuel tank of just his face. So every bike I've had has always had him on there since. So, you know, obviously got it. But now the one I got on my fuel tank on my bike at the moment, I look at it every time I go to ride and I know he's with me. Sarah McLeod, solo performer and singer, guitarist for the Super Jesus shares a spiritual journey with losing Chachi. And, you know, also I had, um, I, like, I, I had read all this stuff about when, when a loved one dies and they go to the Rainbow Bridge and they wait there for you. And then when you die, you go there and they meet you and then you cross the bridge together. So after that, um, like I was sort of explaining a story to her, you know, when I would meet her again and how great it was going to be. And how um, it was also because a friend of mine had been in, I think this is why I was actually so spiritual about it. A friend of mine had been in, a car accident where he died and then he came back to life and he had told me about what had happened when he was in this, um, he calls it the forest. He was in this like forest, which is the afterlife, but he was only there for a short amount of time and how he didn't have a body, but he was like this spark and he could move like across the room super quick. Like, like there was no time and he didn't need your body and, and you're just full of euphoria and elation and, um, and the colours and the trees singing at you and, you know, all this stuff. So I was explaining it to Chachi because I was like, you know, you don't need this old sick body anymore. Like, you're hurting. You can't even hardly walk. Like, in, you know, shortly, like, by tonight, you're not even going to need it and you're going to feel beautiful and you, you, you're not even going to need these legs. You're just going to be bouncing around. You'll, you'll feel like a young puppy again. And and there is no time. Like, you might miss me, but time's going to go, like, in the blink of an eye. Like, 100 years could be boom and you wouldn't even know how long it's been. So you have to go to this place and wait for me, but it won't seem like you're waiting very long at all because there is no time. You know, I'm the one that's going to have to wait, and I can deal with that. I can deal with my own pain as long as I know you're cool. And that sort of you know really helped me. And then um, and then after she passed, I wanted all that information in a song about where to where to meet me because I wanted her, I wanted her to know, I wanted it to be able to get to her in the afterlife. And I thought I could tell her, but I don't think she's going to be able to hear me once she's gone. And I thought if I put it in music, I think music, the vibrations of music can transcend through dimensions more than spoken word. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like my best shot at connecting with someone on the other side is to put it to music because music, I think the vibrations can sort of kind of, you know, breach the gap a little, um, I think. (laughs) So then I wrote her this song with all these specific instructions about where to meet me in the afterlife and how we're going to be together again. And I called it Charchi's theme. And I feel like that, really helped me heal it fast-tracked my grieving for sure because I grieved like non-stop it took me two weeks to write it I did it like the day after she passed I started it and the next two weeks I just sat in my studio just bawling my eyes out just like snot all over my piano and all over my pants and just like moaning like an animal until I'd finished the song and then I felt um I felt like I'd sort of purged and that we had connected and I had I had a, I had a way of finding her again like leaving a trail of popcorn and you had to get her how to get back to her and how for her to get back to me. 
now we knew and then we could just go, okay, now we've got to carry on our lives, but we know what to do. So this is not the end. And that helps so much. Butchie, the dog of inspiration, as told by Pascal Terry. But um, one of the messages that the pet medium passed on to me, sort of out of the blue, was Butchie wants you to still get in the car and go on the trip. And I was blown away. I thought, how on earth would she know that? And she said to me, Butchie wants you to know that wherever you go, he goes with you. So if you do the trip, Butchie still gets to go. And so that was that. I decided, absolutely, I'm going to go on the trip. So I did. And when I reached Byron um, and I checked into the lodge, you know, I felt incredibly alone and just fragile, you know, knowing that he was supposed to be with me. And it was it was really it was a really tough experience, even just sort of turning up there. But I, I powered through and that the very first night that I was there, you know, there was a beautiful dinner in the main house and I was a little bit early and um I I walked into the lodge and there's this beautiful library just, you know, off from the restaurant. And so I sat in the library and I thought I'll just kill some time and I'll have a look through some of the books. And it was all, you know, it was all encyclopedias and, and you know, these big sort of coffee table books. And I was looking through and at the very, very, very bottom of the bookshelf under all of the Britannicas, there was this book called We Love Pets. And I thought, oh, animals, great. I'll pull it out and have a look. And so I did. And I was scrolling through and it was all these beautiful images of animals and specifically dogs. And I was, you know, getting a bit teary thinking, you know, about Butchie. And as I get to the end of the book, I open up this double page spread and it took my breath away. It was it was a two pages of photos of Butchie. And I thought, what on earth is this? Like, I I couldn't quite understand how Butchie was in this book (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. And as it turns out, when I first rescued Butchie, he was asked to do a charity photo shoot to bring awareness to doggy rescue. And I I never saw those photos ever again. And I didn't realise that they had been picked up and published into this this book. And it had Butchie's name and and a little story about Butchie's rescue story. And I just cried (laughs) like a baby. And I thought to myself... The pet medium did tell me that there would be, I I would know that Butchie was with me on this trip. And, you know, if that isn't a sign, I don't know what is. And so I carried that book with me to dinner and I had my dinner and my glass of wine with Butchie (laughs) in the book staring at me. And, um, yeah, I I couldn't help but feel very um, connected to him at that particular moment. Greta Ray, Australian singer-songwriter, talks about her love for dogs and one in particular called Billy. Billy is my golden retriever and she is going to be turning 12 this year. So she's an old lady. Yeah, she's wonderful. She is just the most delightful dog to live with. She is very sleepy these days and I think enjoys, you know, the fact that everyone is home all the time, as I'm sure many dogs are enjoying during this time. Oh my gosh, what a dream. Yep, picked her up when she was like a couple of months old and yeah, she was just like this big fluffy butterball with a big tummy and she was so gorgeous oh my gosh um and I think I was I don't know I feel like I was I was still in primary school I was in grade five or something when we got her and I've been wanting a dog my whole life I used to be the most obsessive child about wanting to get a dog I was so insistent and hadn't had one up until we got Billy and I used to like spend my time writing like I would write books and like essays to my parents trying to prove to them that I knew so much about how to take care of a dog just because I was so desperate to get one. We had a lot of pets, um, my sister and I, when we were kids. So like my, We actually have 
like turtles and lizards in the backyard in a pit. My sister had a lot of like bunny rabbits when she was young. Uh, We used to have chickens. Like it was a bit of a menagerie in my house when I was a kid. And I was like, there is a really important missing piece, guys. It's really obvious. It's a dog. Like, where is the dog? Yeah. And I just was so, I was so obsessed. I had like posters that would cover my bedroom wall in pictures of dogs, particularly golden retriever puppies. So yes, the fact that like, you know, we got Billy, it was a big moment. Like if I wrote a song about my dog or my best friend's dog or like the relationship between those two dogs, because it's really cute when we take them to the park together, because like Billy's just this like very old, kind of pretty disinterested, not very social dog. And Louie just like tags along behind her and he's so excited and he's got so much energy and love for her. If I tried to write about that in a song, I would just like be crying the whole time. I get so emotional. But like, I think it will probably happen there's an artist called Mia Ray, um, who's also based in Victoria. And um, I watched her play a show years and years ago about her. She sang a song about her dog, Mango, um, who had passed away. And I was like, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> like, I <laughs> oh, cannot my. listen to it. It was yeah. so beautiful. She's exquisite. And I, I've never forgotten that song just because of, you know, I, yeah, it was kind of just like, oh, my gosh, are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to write songs about our dogs? Oh, my God. I think that should actually be illegal. I don't know how you title that song, Louie, Billy, Billy Louie, Billy Lou. I don't know how you'd actually oh write my a gosh. title to a fluffball, we... mud-covered dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Well, look, if that does happen, I will definitely be letting you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it would be a lot. It'll happen. It will definitely happen eventually. Michaela Bowen. West Coast Eagles AFLW athlete talks about her dog, Odie. I think, yeah, from him it was just a love that was unconditional and um, I feel like it's hard to find that nowadays. And, you know, even just I'm quite a – I I like routine and I like stability. And for me, you know, just moving out of home, he was that stability for me. So I do miss that immensely. You know, the years before that just – preparing to be an elite athlete is that you need to be comfortable within your own self and and sometimes it's a point of not overthinking too much and not pushing yourself to the point of exhaustion and um and breakdown and I think for me as as for me as an individual I am I can tend to you know I want to go all guns blazing all the time and I want to I want to push myself as hard as I can and I want to be the best I can be for for myself and the team and it's almost as if Odie's little face was that reminder for me just to take time to breathe and take time for him and it was like I wanted to be able to create time for myself that then I could I could spend on him and you know spend investing in him and loving in him loving him you know so it was almost kind of a relationship with with a little pup where you know I learned a lot about myself in terms of how I was as an athlete and where I wanted to be you know in terms of the way I, I approach my my sport and and everything in that context, because he is, I think he's a, he was a, a big breathing space for me. I saw him and took a deep breath every time I saw him, other than when he was jump, jumping all over with, um, jumping all over me. But Shan Curry, singer songwriter from She's Azuna, talks about her dog Arlo. I knew that I was going to be releasing sometime at the end of the year, and and hopefully I was aiming for October. And then I thought. Because I've been waiting for my dog Arlo's birthday all year. I don't know why I get excited so much, like, because I don't want him to get older because I want him to be around forever. But at the same time, I just can't wait. I'll be like three months before his birthday. I'll be like, it's your birthday in three months. <laughs> and, and then I realised that um, I wanted to release it on 
his birthday and I was just hoping that I hadn't checked a calendar yet but I was really hoping that his birthday would be on a Friday because I wanted it to come out for a weekend and sure enough when I looked in the calendar it was a Friday and I was so stoked so yeah it was like a nice way for me to celebrate Arlo's sixth birthday and the release and now we'll always have that to um, celebrate together. Did you buy Arlo a present? Yeah, I don't know if we can call it a present now. Um, it, it was a giant bone from the butcher. And um, let me just say it led to what I would call a, a series of emotions in him that led to a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened? What did, what, what did he do? Well, he's done this before, so I should have known better, but he does love a bone. He loves it to the point of obsession. So you give him the bone and he's just super happy and, and that's that's great. You see him run off into the yard and he's all excited. And then maybe, you know, an hour will go by and the happiness has turned into we call we've got these like a series of emotions, like bone obsession. So it starts off with bone excitement. Then it goes to like bone obsession where he he's just ravenous about it and he can't think of anything else but that and he doesn't leave <laughs> rain, hail or shine, he will stay with that bone. And then like to maybe it'll get to the two-hour mark and it's gotten to the point where he, he'll take it all around the yard and try to find places to bury it, um, but he'll put it somewhere and then you'll see him pacing around the yard. And where I'm living at the moment, I've got a perfect view of our backyard from my lounge room. So I'm sitting upstairs watching him on the day and he was pacing back and forth. It was steadily raining all day, so he's covered in mud He's got this like weird look on his face. Like he's not he's not himself anymore. And um and then he he basically will bury it, but then he'll he'll leave the scene and then minutes later you'll see him go back and find it again. Because I think he's like bone paranoia. He starts thinking someone's gonna take it. So he'll do anything in his power. And then when he finally chills out for the rest of the night, he's like sleeps with one eye open. And like if he sees someone go near the door to go outside, he's like I've got to go now. They're going to take my bone. So it ends up ends up being that we have to throw it in the bin after one day. Max, the autism assistance dog who saved a family's life, as told by Bo and Paige Carter. He would get upset about something. We wouldn't understand why he was upset. He couldn't tell us why he was upset. As a result of that, and this is where a lot of children with autism do this, they just run because it's an instinct for them. They get... They get feedback from from actually running physically. They get a physical feedback from that, from running away. And so it's instinctively what they do. But so stressful for a parent, the amount of times that we have just bolted and just had to run at absolute full pelt to catch him from getting to a street or getting somewhere was just... It it just became so... (laughs) There just became so much anxiety around going anywhere that was it. Like every, everyone in the whole car ride home, Wesley was still screaming. The girls were crying because they didn't know what was going on. They were like, I thought we were meeting our friends for a play. <laughs> I was crying because I was like, I, I just can't believe how horrible that was. And we just, we just knew that something had to change. <laughs> so Guide Dogs WA came up and their autism, autism assistance dog program came up and they have a pdf on their website and i read through the pdf and i just 
oh, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I was reading it and I was just like, I, I never knew a dog could be so amazing. And I was reading all of these, I was reading all of these things that these dogs could help with. And I was like, these are like wonder creatures. What is this? And that was, um, was the first time we'd ever walked together as a family down our own street. So we, I, it, I started to get a bit misty walking back home that we'd, A, you know, gone out with this dog and he kept Wesley safe from running across the road. But then it sort of dawned on us, oh, hang on, this, is, this could be possible. Yeah. Uh, that we can go outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, we can and, leave our house. And return safely. Like it was quite an incredible feeling. And, and our girls were with us at the time. We waited for the phone call. They called back and said, we've chosen Max for you. We're going to schedule in your classes is what they're called, where it's a two-week training process where they bring Max and we have our first day of training and then that's it. He stays with us from that point onwards. So it's like we feel a bit like we won a lottery in terms of the opportunity that we've been given, like just we we know that it's rare and that we are just we we do feel really special that we were picked and just that this this amazing thing happened to us it really was yeah. like we'd we'd run one some sort of lottery in in life so yeah we're just so we just live in thanks to max and i, I love the title of your podcast because that's for me it's, it's it's the epitome it is perfectly epitomizes he, it's never just a dog for us He's not just a dog. He's, he's, he's a lifeline. And we finished 2021 by inviting clinical psychologist Talia Carter back into the studio. So in the middle of moving the practice, there's been a lot of animal loss in my family recently. You know, while it's been sad, it's also, from my point of view, just that sadness is worth the joy and love that we got when they were alive and we were together. And life is beautiful. It's hard and it's challenging and it's full of emotion and it, it's lovely. Thanks for listening to this compilation of The Guest Voices for 2021. Each episode is available in full length at Never Just a Dog and there are many more episodes coming in 2022. For now, Happy New Year from the studio in Perth Western Australia to you. <laughs> They're interesting. I've never, never known a dog to be called John. <laughs>